You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones, and welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk to leaders all over the world about what it takes to truly pay the price of leadership. And today, I am very excited because my guest is Roger Rickard. Roger knows that successful advocacy can change the world. It is his life's work as founder and president of Voices in Advocacy, author of seven actions of highly effective advocates and host of the Voices of Advocacy podcast. He has more than 30 years of experience as an advocacy professional, speaker, trainer, consultant, and author. Roger is a big man at six foot eight inches and a big thinker, and he has big ideas for helping you to succeed with advocacy. Roger, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much, Tracy, for having me. Or should I say Dr. Jones? Oh, well, you can get that out of the way. Tracy's fine. It's just delightful to have here. And for our listeners, you know why I'm just smiling at Roger, because my dad was a big guy. We're like, he had to be 6'7". He was only 6'3". He came across, but he always had that bow tie. So Roger, you look fabulous. And I love big man with big ideas. That's what we're here for, to listen to this podcast. I'm ready for it. And for our listeners out there, I met Roger on a NSA Broadcasters podcast forum several weeks ago. So be sure and get out there. That's how other great leaders find other great leaders, just being part of the things like this. And why I was so excited is Roger hit on one of my favorite words in the whole world that I have only recently in the past few years understood, and that's advocates. As a matter of fact, in Spark, S-P-A-R-K, A is for advocates, and you cannot get there without them. So Roger, I am so excited to unpack your work in advocacy and your work as a leader. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. And I'm very excited to uh, at least share a few thoughts, little nuggets here and there. Well, Roger, my father wrote a speech called The Price of Leadership and spoke extensively on leadership. And in this speech, which our listeners can download for free, he really went into the tougher side of leadership. And he talked about there's four key elements that you are going to have to do if you are truly paying the price to be a leadership leader and not a leader in name only. And the first one of these is loneliness. And we have heard the word, you know, it's lonely at the top. And a lot of people have this romanticized ideal of being a leader. And then they get there and they're like, oh my gosh, this is different. So can you unpack what loneliness as a leader has meant for you? Maybe share with our listeners what to do if they are in a season of loneliness? Yeah, and from a standpoint of the season of loneliness, we're not afraid to go out and get help on things that we feel that we need whether it's we need additional speaking skills, presentation skills, any other set of skill sets. But we're often afraid to go out and confront things like depression or loneliness or that feeling of the burden of everything sits on my shoulders. Correct. You know, it reminds me of my father was a blue collar worker, salt of the earth, hardworking, but didn't have a clue of what I did and couldn't wrap his arms around it. And I would often come to him and I would say, hey, I want your advice. And one day he looked at me and he said, I don't know why you asked for my advice. And I said, because I want it. He said, but you never take it. I said, you don't know if I take it. And it reminded me, and the story that I went back to him with is, listen, the President of the United States has thousands of advisors. And no matter what they say, that person has to make the decision. Correct. So whether it's the leader of the free world in the President of the United States or leader of the household, or leader of a small business, or 
whatever you are as a leader, you have to make that final decision. But I hope that you don't make it lonely. I hope you don't make it in a vacuum mm. of where you don't seek out other authority. And no matter what the decision you make is, you take all those things in totality. Uh, you're going to upset, if you ask for advice, you're going to upset people one way or the other. But don't be afraid to ask for that. Don't be afraid to seek your own help for things. You can look at loneliness, uh, Tracy, in many different ways. I have been an entrepreneur all my life, for the most part. And there are times when you're alone, making decisions to where you're very concerned of, I'm making the right decision. Because the person that impacts the most is you. Mm-hmm. And you've got to have a little bit of confidence and you've got to go out and seek additional help when you need that help and advice from others. Mm-hmm. I love it. And being in the military, when you started out, when you recognize, when you feel like, uh-oh, I'm feeling alone, we call in the cavalry, you know, call in reinforcements. And it's natural for leaders to, you're going to go through this. And I love the fact that you said, hey, not everybody's going to rejoice in your decision. I think that's something that leaders really struggle with. It's kind of a, hey, I made this decision and you're always going to have people, look, your even father said that, you know, well, you're not going to take my advice, but we still seek. That's absolutely a really important point. I'd like to follow that up with, uh, I just became the immediate past president of uh, a chapter of the National Speakers Association. And I was on a call with my successor today. And I said to her, listen, I will always publicly support you. Privately, we can have our own conversations and know that I will give you what I think is the best advice I can give you and know that I respect whatever your decision is and will not be hurt if you decide to do the absolute opposite of what I recommend. Mm. Just want you to have the knowledge you make the choice. That's absolutely brilliant. And that really unpacks only, yeah, that publicly, and then we can have a discussion private, and then you respect. Love it. Excellent. And that our private conversation will always remain private. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's why that tearing down from within is the worst kind of assault, because it's like, guys, we already had the discussion in the boardroom. We're supposed to be out and have a united front. And that's, I expect it from the enemy, but leaders really need to watch out for that. If you've got that kind of sabotaging going on for your team, you're going to be lonely because they're not with you. That's right. And you now have to make a different decision. Yes. <laughs> you know, how do you get them on the bus or how do you throw them off the bus? Right, right, right. I hear you. you need that. And you need to build that trust. So you as a leader, if you go out and you do what you say. If you promise and deliver on your promise and stay the course with that, that you know, you said military a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. The great military minds are the people that always, always stood up and told the truth. We ultimately really do want the truth. Sometimes it really hurts to get the truth. That's what we ultimately want. And if you don't want that, you're probably not the right type of person to be in leadership. In the right. First. Absolutely. Okay. Excellent. Thanks, Roger, for unpacking that. So next he talked about sometimes there's going to be times of loneliness. He also talked about weariness. And his thing was anything you do and you know as an entrepreneur, sometimes there are days where we're working 40 hours in a day, let alone a week, and it's weary. But he also talked about, you know, there's good weary and there's bad weary. And I know there are days when I go to bed and I'm like, I am so tired 
but I am so tired in a good way versus, you know, being weary. But either way, as leaders, we need to stay in top fight and form. So can you speak to weariness? Maybe when you went through a season of that and how you stay fully charged so you can really teach people the art of advocacy. It's two sides of a coin. You pointed that out. Sometimes you're weary because you know you achieved something and you worked really hard to get that achievement Mm. to do that. Sometimes you're weary because you're just tired of doing it and you're tired of either feeling like you're beating your head against the drum and not getting any closer to your goals. Mm -hmm. And so that comes in many different forms. So, So let's take one of them. I love the weary of I'm exhausted because we've done great work. I love that feeling. And that actually motivates me more. Yes. That makes me, when I know that I've achieved something where somebody gets somewhere, somebody does something, I see that the work that I did or the work that our organization does helps somebody else, that's fuel. And weary is like being hungry. Sometimes you're hungry and you need more fuel because you're, you're burning all those calories. And Sometimes you're weary and you just need to eat to replenish the batteries and you're exhausted by that. When you feel like you're alone, you can sometimes get in this melancholy Mm -hmm. to where you're weary because you just feel like you're tired of fighting the fight. Yes. But I would recommend to anybody at that point, one of the things that I do is I take a step back from me and I say, and what I do with what I do, Is that affecting somebody else? And I will often go back and I will look at people that unsolicited, that were unsolicited, that responded to me. Quick example, I spoke about a month ago in D.C. Great audience, talking about advocacy, talking about how to be engaged and involved. And at the end of the event, female bartender came that was in the room. Uh And he said, boy, did you touch me? It's great when an audience that you're paid to be in front of feels that touch, but it's super when someone that doesn't need to care, doesn't need to listen, all of a sudden is touched by one of the things that you did. And I said, if you have an opportunity, explain to me what you felt. You may not be able to do that right now, but here's my card. And she sent me an email that was like eight paragraphs. And she poured her heart and soul into why I touched her. Anytime I feel lonely by myself, anytime I feel weary, pick up something like that because then you look at what you've done and you say, it makes a difference. It's time for me to keep the train moving forward. I love that. Well, okay, so there are many times, and I'm going to ask you this question next, that I've been like, you know what? I'm done. My dad always said, you can want to quit, just don't do it. So I engage in my little pity party. And then somebody will send me one of these little, he said, the eternal life insurance policies. And I'll get one of these in the mail. It's always the day I'm about to go. You know what? I'm done. I've taken this as far as I can go. And I'll get one of them signed. And I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm right back in the game. So I hear that. We need to keep charged and remember the good stuff. Well, let me add one thing. I love the statement. It's always darkest right before dawn. Yes, yes, yes. And it is. Well, and Roger, somebody, an earlier guest, I think yesterday said, Tracy, don't quit halfway because it's just as far to retreat as it is to finish. And I'm like, "Uh, of course. Anytime where you ever felt like you've been doing this for 30 years where you were like, yeah, I'm just not sure that I'm making enough of a difference. You know, it's always, we know we're making a little difference, but sometimes we start comparing ourselves. You ever feel like walking away? Sure. (laughs) I mean, the simple answer is sure. There are times when you sit and 
you start to say, is it worth it? Yeah. Is it worth my time? Is it worth my energy? Am I making a difference? You know, and let's face it, I'm in business to also make money and as well as make a difference. Mm -hmm. Am I doing enough? Am I getting enough out of all the energy that I'm putting into this? Or, you know, listen, I hate the term biorhythms, but your biorhythm gets to a point where, and these all tie together. This is the beauty of this, and you know this. There are days that you're lonely. There are days that you're tired, you're weary, you're wore out, you feel alone. And I have fewer of those the older I get. Yes. I am very confident in that what I'm doing will work. But it reminds me, I played a lot of baseball as a young lad. And do you know how you get to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown? How? As a professional baseball player? How? You succeed three out of ten times. If you have a 300 batting average in baseball, you are a superstar and you're in the Hall of Fame. So you're going to fail seven out of those ten times. You can either put your head down and fail. I, and I don't know where this came from, but if I wasn't starting in a baseball game, and let's say it was the bottom of the ninth inning and we needed runs, I always wanted to be the guy that came off the bench. And here's my logic. In a nine-inning baseball game, there are three outs per inning. That's 27 outs. If I make the last out, my mentality was I was only one of 27 outs. If I get the hit, if I hit the home run, if I bring in the winning run, I'm the hero. I love those odds. I love that. Give me that chance to be the hero because if I'm the go, if I fail, I'm only one of 27 to fail. Mm-hmm. Give me the chance to succeed. I love it. Roger, that is brilliant. I forgot about the 300. Yeah. I mean, what a great metaphor to keep in our minds and keep soldiering on. Yeah. And to tie that together, Babe Ruth had more strikeouts than he had home runs. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that year he did go in. Yeah, that's one of the stories, too. And I love it. And my dad always, he would tell me that as a kid growing up. And so I was prepared for this. But he's like, Tracy, life's a pendulum. You're going to have the best year. You're going to have the worst year. It's just young, old, rich, poor, black, white, that, 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 Christian. It doesn't matter. Life is a series of ebbs and flows, ecclesiastics to everything. There's a season. So I love the fact that you said, hey, it is what it is. But for our either younger leaders or just starting out, please understand. And I was reflecting with this on a previous guest, too. It does seem like the older I get, that confidence that it's not that you have it figured out, but you're just at a better place with it. You know what I'm saying? You understand the value you're providing. And I go through those down times more infrequently. And when I do, I pull, I capture them and cast them out quicker. I think the key as time goes on and more experience that you have is that you've felt that before. The more you're used to feeling something, ah, yes. the, more, the more that you can settle into it. Beautiful. Yep. Well, Roger, somebody yesterday also said they called it, and what you said brings to mind, normalization. When we talk about it, then we remove the stigma, the fear. We call it for what it is and say, it is what it is. Now I can unpack it with my unemotional part of my brain and assign a meaning to it. Okay, I want to quit. Am I going to quit? No. So let's go into action mode. Listen, I've been down this path before. What did I do for myself to get me out of that? Yes. And what can I do today if I need to change that? Yeah. And so introspection uh, is, is key to that. You talk about the ebb and flows. Anytime you're in business and you're a leader, you are virtually the head of sales. I don't care what title they give you. I don't care where it is. If you don't have revenue, you don't have a business. 
And so whatever your title is, everybody needs to embrace the fact that they're a salesman. Yep. And so I often go back to that when I get to that point and I say, as a salesman, what do I need to do yep. to either convince myself or to convince somebody else along the way? And a salesman isn't about necessarily getting the contract. It's about convincing. Okay. I'm writing all this down. I love it. I'm glad I'm recording this because that was really insightful. And yeah, I love that you said you got to convince yourself first. Cause I was like, I'm not a salesperson. I'm an engineer. I'm not a salesperson. You better believe I am. Otherwise, like you said, you can't hang the shingle because you can't pay the bills and you can't pay other people. But you know what I had to do? You hit the nail on the head, Roger, the way you said it. I had to convince myself first. Sure. I need to hire sales. I need to hire sales. That never worked out because I had to convince myself first and be the queen of sales or the king of sales, whatever you're going to be. Yeah. So we're talking about being lonely or weary. You know, there are days that you don't want to do the sales. Right. There are just days. And what I've come to realize is there are also days that I am really into it. Yes. Yeah. And whatever my schedule is that day, I change it yes. and I just keep plowing more and more into the sales aspect of it because I know I'm on. I yep. know I feel good about it. I know how I'm going to react. I know how I'm going to sound on a phone or in a Zoom call or even face-to-face. If you're not into it, don't do it. Mm-hmm. I hear you. <laughs> I love it. And, and I love that you modify your to go. Yeah, it is biorhythms. And like I said, there are days where everybody I talk to, boom, boom, everything, done, I'm in it. And then other times where you go, so thank you for bringing that up too, because some people can get very bounded about, I have to make this many calls every day and stuff like that. So and as an entrepreneur, you've got plenty of stuff to do. And when you feel that way, in my opinion, some of the things that I do, I have daily devotions, I have daily motivations, and some days I just decide I'm going to read more about that stuff. There must be the hunger that I need re-nourished, recharged, and retooled to be able to, to move forward with that. It's smarter for me now to stop what I'm doing, go recharge, rather than just keep bamming my head against the wall. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you, Roger. But everybody has to do that. And they have to find what makes right. they have to find what makes themselves comfortable in that. Right. And I think the more seasoning you get, the more you understand yourself. Because I can remember my younger days, I'd be like, oh, I'm procrastinating. But now, like you said, I'm like, no, I need to just take half a day or a day. And I'm very structured and very goal-oriented. And no, we're going to do this. And I need that. And I can tell I need it because I'm as on fire doing that. And I don't feel bad. And then I get right back into the flow. Great insights for our leaders, Roger. Thank you. All right. So loneliness, weariness. Now, the next one he talked about is abandonment. And abandonment typically has a negative connotation. You know, fear of abandonment is a very real thing. And for those of us in the pet rescue business, abandonment, as I said earlier, is a cardinal sin. But my father talked about abandonment as a leader is we cannot be all things to all people. You'll dilute your brand. You'll run. You'll burn out. And my dad would always say, hey, we need to abandon what we like and want to think about in favor of what we ought and need to think about. So can you unpack abandonment for us and really help us understand how, Roger, you stay very focused? Well, I think if one is really true for themselves, they don't always stay focused. Amen. Thank you. Look, (laughs) you know, especially entrepreneurs. Yeah. I think part of that is because of the way your brain is wired right. in that you're willing to take that risk. Right. And all of a sudden you see you see another gap in a hole somewhere and you go, oh, should I go down there? Should I do that? Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is we all do this. We all step away. I think 
the more you recognize that, the better you are from a standpoint of saying, uh-oh, I just went down that rabbit hole. Stop, get out of the hole, get back to what you need to do. But I also think that it's okay from time to time to go down there. Uh-huh. Because I think that's where creativity goes. And sometimes it's okay to just go off on a tangent. Tracy, you and I have done that on calls together. Right. Right. We started a conversation and all of a sudden led to this and led to that. And then it started with new ideas and new ways of doing things or picking something that has been on your mind forever. And you know what I'm talking about. It's something that's been on my mind for years and years and years, finding a different way to do it. And all of a sudden that light bulb comes on. And so could we have maybe gone there? Not necessarily, but boy, going there, we found the answer to it. But leaders' times are valuable. And the other side of that is your ability to in a gentle, loving manner, they know. And part of, I think, what makes business very successful and leaders successful is their ability to focus on no as much as yes. No, this isn't the right thing for our business. No, this isn't the right thing for my staff, for my employees. No, this isn't the right thing for my customers. No, this isn't the right thing for our brand, for our image. And being able to recognize all of those things and Abandoned, done, thank you, but no, that's now off the table, move on. Mm -hmm. I think that that's important because by doing that, you're telling everybody else it's okay for them to as well. Right, right. So Roger, can you walk us through how you, in the world of advocacy, how did you hone, and I always look at abandonment as really singularity. You cut it, you prune everything else away until that laser becomes not a kaleidoscope, but the most powerful beam of you. So how did you dial in your advocacy focus? Because I'm sure there were a lot of different things doing a lot of different people, a lot of different people calling you to kind of do something that's kind of there, but not there. So could you talk, walk us through that? That's a very difficult process. So let's not sugarcoat it. It doesn't come to you easily, particularly when someone says to you, but I want to hire you to do X, Y, or Z. Well, no, my business is A. My business is advocacy. The hard thing is to turn down potential money somewhere and to do something for somebody else. And that goes back to the abandonment. How do you then say no? Right. How do you stay focused? Now, advocacy can be a big umbrella. And what I really chose to do is I made very purposeful decisions, not all at one time. Uh, It's how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? I figured this out one bite at a time. And once you figure one thing out, clarity starts to come in another area. In my business, what I do primarily, I have about eight competitors. Eight. That's it. Did I start off saying, how can I get this down to where there's only, you know, a couple of us? And quite frankly, I can even drill it down further. I don't even think I have eight competitors. I think I have one. And All the reasons are immaterial, but I continue to just keep chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, so that when I have a conversation with somebody and they ask what I do, well, you know, I help you grow your community of advocates. Nice. What does that mean? Yep. How do you do that? That Those are different answers, but then what differentiates me from even my group of eight? That figured out. Yep. I know what differentiates me, and if you don't want what I have, I don't take it personally anymore. Right. You know, I live in Scottsdale, Arizona because I made a lifestyle choice. 
doing what I do, if I was in Washington, D.C., I would be crazy busy, <laughs> crazy busy, and would be turning down business left and right and trying to figure out how do I get more boots on the ground to yeah. do more business with that. But I also use that to my advantage now because there are a lot of people that work inside the bubble of D.C. They work on K Street, and I work through Main Street, not K Street. And so I work with the people out in the middle of the country, and that's a mindset. That's not a geography. And so when an organization in D.C. recognizes that what they need is support out in Main Street, then I'm more of the guy for that. Mm -hmm. And I figure that out. So it's the ability to just constantly hone constantly refined. I think it was Jerry Seinfeld that said, anybody can write a joke. The great ones can get a joke down to about eight words. Right. And so in your business, how do you get your business down to where it's that fine-tuned? Love it. That everybody knows and understands. I mean, I've had conversations, well, I don't really understand. Explain more. Well, I tell them a little bit more. Well, I don't really understand this. Well, that means you're probably not the right fit for me. Right. It's not resonating. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. And that's okay. It is great. Well, I love it. Because the faster we can all get to know. Right. I don't want to waste their time or my time. Right. And it's both K-N-O-W-N-O. Right. Right. How fast can we get to know whether this is a yes or a no? Yes. And Roger, I love for the listeners out there, this is a lifelong process. I mean, I've been back on Mendes Leadership for 12 and a half years. And now I finally feel like I've been chipping and chipping and chipping and honing and iron and this and that. And every now and then I'll allow my creative side to go down a rabbit trail, but I tend to get back on. But it is a process and it takes time. So for the leaders out there, if you've been in entrepreneurship or you're starting out, which a lot of our market is, give it time. It takes time, but it will evolve as you get to know yourself and what you're bringing to the table you're so much clearer on what conversations to have with who and when. And so you can abandon all the other stuff you're going to get bombarded with people telling you all these things they are going to do for you or asking you to do all these things for them. It's life is so much more streamlined and profitable. I remember taking a class in college. Isn't it amazing what you can remember? Because that was more than a day or two ago. But I remember taking a class in college on advertising and marketing. And the instructor showed an ad, a television ad. And he asked the question, is this a good ad or a bad ad? Everybody had opinions. Sure. And I remember someone in the class said, well, what's your opinion? And he said, I can't tell you whether it's a good ad or a bad ad. Because A, I don't know where they were running it. B, I don't know the demographic that they were trying to reach. And C, does the demographic they're trying to reach actually make a difference in their business? Which makes me think we jump to conclusions constantly. If you're watching ads on television or listening to them on the radio or anything like that, you jump to conclusions. Did you like the music? Do you like the visual? Do you like all that? Well, guess what? It may not be for you. It may not be designed for you. Correct. Political leaders put in their speeches three items. They put lines that the people that love them, they're saints, no matter what, they love them. They put lines in the speech make the saints really happy and to reinforce why we love them. They put lines in the speech for the savables, the people that may like this, that kind of like this, that maybe think the idea is okay. And how do they get them to go to yes? And they don't put anything in the speech for the sinners. I thought you were going to say sour pusses, but sinners. (laughs) 
Now, and the point of that is, if you listen to a speech and you don't like it, then you're probably viewed as a sinner. Right, right. And I don't mean that in a really negative connotation. Right, in, in a theologically damning way. Right, yeah. No, but in political campaigns, when you're running for office, you're trying to get one thing, and that's a vote. Yeah, you need the money, you need the staff, you need all that, blah, 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 blah. But when you cut it down, when you create that vision, you're looking for one thing, and that's a vote. Yeah. And that person either loves you, you're a saint, yeah, might consider voting for you, or there's no way in God's green earth I'm ever voting for you. And so you've got to forget about the sinners. Mm. You've got to keep the saints happy enough to keep marching for you. And then with the savables, you've got to do your best, create something that allows them to hang their hat on why I chose to vote for you. Okay. I love it. But that's in business. So let's take that out of the political connotation and let's put that as, as leaders. You're going to have the naysayers. You're going to have people that no matter what you do, there's nothing you can do to please them. It's hard to block them out. You know, they're immaterial. But how do I get new customers that I want? How do I convince them? How do I take care of my customers today? How do I take care of my employees today? Because they're my saints. They've already decided to join the team. Mm -hmm. If I don't take care of those people, ultimately, they've left us. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay. Well, you really unpacked abandonment. Lastly, vision. And vision is kind of this, ooh, you know, ooh, Notre Dame. And I can remember my dad teaching me, Tracy, vision is really seeing what needs to be done and then doing it. Because otherwise you can be very esoteric and philosophical, but it's actually getting it done. So can you unpack what vision means to you and share some insights for how you help hone and move your vision forward? Vision is clarity of purpose. Yes. To me, when you ask that question, the first thing that comes to mind and the thing that I couldn't get around is clarity of purpose. Right. If I know, and I love to use analogies, if I know what I have to do, then vision's really simple. When I was an athlete, what do I need to do to be a better hitter? What do I need to do to be a better fielder? What are some of the tasks that are going to get me there? So tasks from a leadership standpoint of vision is what else do we need? What don't we have now? What don't I have to be able to help somebody else out? And if I don't have certain skill sets, then I need to get those skill sets. I need to be a constant learner. That's the thing I love and embrace. I think every minute I get older, what else can I learn? Unfortunately, I don't have enough time in life to learn what I want to learn. And yet, if you would have asked me that was in college, it would be like, get me out of here. I want to get out and I want to do things. And I, you know. Yeah, retired and, 55. That's it. I'm done. It's like, we're just getting started. <laughs> yeah, I had a very, very successful cousin who said, I'm out at 55 and I'm done. And in my case, I don't think I'll ever retire because I want to keep just doing things. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to be engaged. Right. And that makes your task easier. Okay, we need to be better at A. How do we get better at A? Mm -hmm. And within that, what do we do to do it? And to your point, though, do it. Right, right. You got to execute it. Otherwise, it's just talk, plan. Yeah, there are things that sit on my list that I don't do probably in a timely manner. Let's go back to all the other points we've talked about here today. But ultimately, if I don't do that, 
then I lose. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to create the discipline to do yeah. the actual work. Yep. And hold yourself accountable. Right. I was having a conversation with somebody and I said, one of the hardest things to do as a leader is to actually hold other people accountable. And then I immediately corrected it and said, but to do that, you must first hold yourself accountable. And you, then you've got to tell them when you've slipped up. I didn't do this as well as I should have. It's on me. Mm. It gives them permission to accept the fact that it's on them too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it. Absolutely. All right. So Roger, we covered loneliness, weariness, <laughs> abandonment, and vision. We have this audience of tremendous leaders listening. Anything else on leadership that you would like to share? And I'd love to have you unpack for our listeners what your work, because advocacy, a lot of people are like, I know the word, but I've never really heard it in a professional context. So could you share a little bit about how you work with organizations and what you do for them? Sure. And I think that segues right. What else would I bring up? Yes. I would bring up advocacy, quite frankly, because leaders have to be a self-advocate. Yes. And a self-advocate is someone who is willing to represent themselves and their views and their interests and their visions and so on and so forth. So you have to be willing to speak out for what matters to you. So as a leader, I think you have to be the advocate. I think if you're a leader in the business context, I think you need to be the advocate on behalf of your customers, mm-hmm. on behalf of your staff, your employees, and on behalf of your suppliers. Mm-hmm. Because I think if any part of the cog of that wheel isn't operating correctly, there's a reason why we have four tires on a car. We need all four. And all four have to be in proper air and have the proper tread to be able to get us down the path that we want to go. Mm-hmm. If any one of those aren't working properly, then we're not getting there safely and as efficiently and, and as fast. What I do, and I said this a little bit earlier, Voices in Advocacy helps organizations grow their ad. And what I mean by that is we help inspire, engage, educate, and activate your supporters to take action to the issues that matter to them the most. And examples of that are easy, whether they be social causes, whether they be trade organizations. Oftentimes an organization says, we exist because we're going to be your voice wherever. Mm-hmm. Whether that voice is in government, whether that voice is in the media, whether that voice is in the public arena of some sort, we're going to be your voice. And with that voice, we're going to stand up and educate people to the issues matter to us. Okay. I did a podcast interview about a week ago, and someone said, you know, what we do is really called special interest, and people think special interest is negative. But when you can take special interest and make it in the interest of the public, then that's when you succeed. Mm. And there's a lot of them. Advocacy, interestingly enough, I ask a lot of people on the street, what do you think advocacy means? And oftentimes they'll go to lobbying and backroom deals and you know, smoke-filled rooms and good old boy network and all those negative connotations of things. When advocacy itself is defined as speaking out in favor of a cause, an issue, an interest, whatever. And I view advocacy in a very positive light. Mm -hmm. And that people need to be advocates. And they need to know how to be more effective and efficient advocates so that they can create more influence. Leaders need to be influential or they won't succeed. Absolutely. 
you can be missing other traits. Right. But if you can't be influential, you'll never convince people. Right. We talk about change or this organization has to change. And then we know how hard it is to change the wheel of the organization, to change the steering of where you're going with the organization. Mm-hmm. It's really hard if you have no influence. Well, I heard it said, as a leader, they don't have to know everything, but they have to know everybody. And so that's where those advocates, either in the form of a resource or just a sounding board. So, yeah. It's also, who knows who, who knows who. Right, right. What was Bob Burns? You have to know everybody. No, you have to know somebody that knows somebody. Right. Well, and what do they say in sales? It's for every person, they have 250 contacts they can introduce you to. So if you're meeting with 10 people, that's 250 times 10. So if you feel lonely or tired or whatever, people, I don't know where they are. Well, go out and just find one because it's that synergistic effect and they're out there. And I think it just doesn't dawn on people. They think that just certain people have magical advocate fairy dust that sprinkles on them. And I'm like, they're out there, but you just got to go find them. And then they get dialed in as you did with that particular mission that resonates. And that's a special interest to their heart that they want to join you in your mission and what you're trying to do in business and a nonprofit and a special interest in government and anything, you know? Absolutely true, Tracy. Absolutely true. Absolutely. And you never know where that influence will come from. Right, right. You don't know. Don't and know. you must keep your eyes and ears open to it all the time. There are thousands of stories of someone that was ignored that might have been literally the janitor or a maid somewhere. Well, it turns out that that maid's son, daughter, brother, sister was a big leader. And you never knew where that's going to take you. I know. So treat everybody with kindness. Treat everybody the way you want to be treated. And treat them with respect. And it will come back to you 24. Yes. Wow. What a wonderful way to wrap this up. All right, Roger. Well, listen, how can people get connected with you and possibly reach out to you for your services or just include you as an advocate in their network? Well, you can reach me on any of the social platforms under my name, Roger Rickard. That's R-O-G-E-R-R-I-C-K-A-R-D. You can find me anywhere, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, any any of those. If someone wants to email me, it's Roger, R-O-G-E-R, at voicesinadvocacy.com. Now you know the website as well, and you can listen to the Voices in Advocacy podcast at any of your streaming services. I love it. And to our listeners out there, if you get and watch this later, we'll have all the links to all Roger's connections out there so you can stay in touch with him. Well, Roger, thank you so much. I scribbled a ton of notes. I always record, but I can't help it because you had some really great insights in our discussion. And I thank you for it. Tracy, I want to thank you because the work that you're doing on behalf of helping leaders is so vitally important. It's important for the things that we started off with, whether it's loneliness and weariness. And it's important for all of those reasons. And God bless you for what you do with that. Thank it's you. really important. And thank you for everything you, you do. Thank you. And God bless you too, Roger. Thank you again to our listeners out there. We are so thankful for you. If you like what you heard, please be sure and hit the subscribe button and do us the honor of a review, a five-star review share and drop us a line or a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, Roger. I love it. And guys, just thank you again. We hope you got value out of this. Please share, connect with us, get on TremendousLeadership.com, download your free copy of The Price of Leadership so you can read more about it. And no leader, if it seems tough, if the tough gets, if the going gets tough, tough get growing. So you get out there. We're so thankful for you. 
And congratulations to you all. You are leaders and you are true leaders and you are paying the price of leadership. Have a tremendous rest of the day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.